you are listening to Sheep Might Fly, a podcast of serialised fiction written and read by Tansy Rayner Robbins. Our current serial is Musketeer Space. Chapter 28. For Love of Aramis. Their plan to find Aramis ran aground on Mung Station. Dana, Planchet, Bonnie and Porthos searched the station, checking every cathedral and religious zone, before admitting she was likely not here at all. She had spent several days at a medibay on Myung, but disappeared off the grid shortly after checking herself out. "'I'll meet you back at the dealership,' Porthos said gruffly. They had located the Morning Star earlier that day, in a corner of a dodgy spaceship dealership, reserved for crafts in Hock. Aramis must have been in desperate need of funds to pawn it at such a disreputable establishment. The manager said he couldn't release contact information, Dana protested. Yes, said Porthos, in a voice so chilly it might have belonged to Athos. And I was happy to respect that when I thought we might find her at one of the nearby cathedrals, but we're running out of options. Porthos slapped on pearls and a high scarlet beehive of a wig before returning to the dealership and spinning a yarn about a fake husband whom she always called My Darling Coquenard, who had promised to buy her the perfect spaceship. Dana trailed after her, making the occasional apology on behalf of her boss, as Porthos readjusted every screen and seat in the place, and managed to smear lipstick on nearly every smooth surface. The salesman, who was more junior than the manager who'd been on duty last time they swung past, was very aware of his responsibility for any damage this troublesome customer might inflict upon the vehicles. Porthos's epic distraction prevented him from noticing Planchet and Bonnie as they broke into the back office with a handful of connection cables and a pack of empty data studs. Let's try the red one again, Porthos shrieked, playing up an accent that tilted between new aristocrat and hollow soap diva. My darling Coquenard loves to see me in red, and I have the perfect shoes to match. They're aren't any red ones, madam, said the salesman, sounding desperate. That's a terrible state of affairs, my good fellow. Which ones can we make red? The coffee printers on Myung Station made every liquid taste like they had a faint film of oil on their surface. Porthos refused to even try printing tea until they were back on the hoyden. Aramis used a false name to pawn the ship revealed Planchet, cracking open the clamshell to show the files she had cloned. Porthos placed a large, genuine china teapot and several small cups on the floor of the flight deck. Oh no, sweet pea, R. de Herblay is her birth name. A look of distress flitted across her face. That's bad. Why is that bad? Dana asked pouring tea for everyone. She was sure Porthos would have done it herself by now if she wanted it to be done perfectly. Aramis hates her original name. If she's using it, that means she needs her legal identity. Probably to sign a contract with the seminary, 
said Planchet, helping herself to a cup. She rocked back, startled, as Porthos and Dana turned identical looks of fury upon her. Sorry, what did I say? Help? Bonnie prodded both Porthos and Dana back a few inches, so they loomed less threateningly over the NG in training. Breathe, she commanded them all. Porthos took a few deep breaths, then swallowed half a cup of scalding tea. Why did you say that about a seminary? What seminary? The contact information Aramis gave the dealership is Crevecourt Abbey, said Planchet, shuffling back awkwardly to add more distance between them. Dana didn't blame her. Porthos looked positively murderous. It's on Dover Satellite, attached to the university there. It's a seminary for new priests. The words that came out of Porthos's mouth next were anything but religious. Are we bad people? Dana asked a few hours later. They'd flown the hoyden from Myung Station to Dover Satellite and found a cheap dock to hire. Bonnie and Planchet elected to remain on the ship. Dover Satellite used almost as much artifice as Paris Satellite, perhaps more. Dana and Porthos stood on a wide, grass-lined avenue underneath a starscape that gave the illusion of being dirt-side, except for the visible rotation of the stars. Porthos had changed from her usual civilian glamour into musketeer battle dress. Blue flight suit and fleur-de-lis jacket, with her shorn hair bare to the false sky. She'd even wiped off her lipstick. Dana wore Athos's not-a-musketeer blue jacket over her own charcoal grey flight suit. Both of them wore their pilot slice batons, slung from belts, and sensible boots, ready for action. I have no idea what you mean, said Porthos. She leaned against a wall, staring at the pretty fluted tower of Crevecourt Abbey. The artifice was so detailed that it included green ivy clambering over the pale golden stonework. I mean, Dana sighed, if Aramis really wants to sign herself up to the priesthood, she's always talking about how she plans to someday. Shouldn't we let her get on with it? Are we bad people for stopping her doing something that might make her happy? Porthos's eyes went darker than usual. I don't care if it's selfish, she said after a long moment. I don't give a flying frig if it makes us bad people. I want her back. She's my best friend and they can't have her. Also, she owes me money. Dana felt relief wash over her. Okay, she said with a biting grin. Let's be terrible people. It's what musketeers do best, Porthos replied. Crevecourt Abbey would not let Aramis go without a fight. Their opening salvo consisted mostly of nuns. Several elderly, sweet-faced old dears met Porthos and Dana at the door, politely explaining why it was that Novice d'Herblay could not receive visitors during the period of contemplation, as she was in consultation with several advisers about the thesis she was to present to the abbot. The abbot would then decide on her suitability to join the church. 
every time one of them referred to Aramis as novice de Herblay. Porthos gritted her teeth and corrected them with captain until she looked about ready to explode. I'm afraid you don't understand, Dana put in when there was finally a gap in the conversation. We have brought some papers for Captain Aramis that she greatly needs to reference in her thesis proposal. Oh, that's all right then, the nuns said happily and offered them fresh brewed tea. Maybe later, said Porthos. It was a sign of how desperate things were that she turned down the offer of tea that had been brewed instead of printed. One of the more elderly nuns led the musketeer and her friend up a winding staircase and along to a library. Bazin the android stood to stiff attention, guarding the door of his mistress. As he saw Porthos and Dana approach, the android looked more dismayed than Dana had thought was even possible on the face of an artificial person. Please, Captain Lieutenant Porthos, he moaned, it's so calm here, and no one ever tries to shoot at us, and Novice de Herblay is planning a most excellent thesis that will confirm her brilliance in the scholarly arts of theology. Modesty in all things, Bazin, said the nun, chiding him. We have no need for pride here. The android's stiff metal shoulders slumped. Yes, sister, he sighed. I would prefer not to allow these people in to interrupt Novice de Herblay. We serve God and all, Bazin, not our personal needs, said the nun, moving him aside. I dislike spaceships so much, the android engineer muttered. A few centuries of religious contemplation and not being shot at. Is that too much to ask? We were so close. Porthos gave him an unsympathetic clap on the shoulder as she was ushered into the library by the elderly nun. We'll have a talk about loyalty to the royal fleet later, Bazin. Yes, Captain Lieutenant Porthos, Bazin sighed. Dana slipped into the library after Porthos and almost crashed into her back because her friend had stopped still. There, at a table strewn with antique books, was their Aramis. She wore a flowing black robe and a full star scarf wrapped around her hair. Her eyes were alight with animated intelligence as she argued with two priests about the nature of God and all. But surely it's not heresy to acknowledge one's reluctance at choosing to serve God. In that moment, Aramis saw her visitors. She broke off her earnest debate and smiled with dazzling warmth. Dana's old crush on her friend smacked her hard in the chest all over again. She had somehow lost her immunity to Aramis's beauty in the time they'd been apart. Aramis glowed with happiness, still fired up from the intellectual debate. Oh, we're terrible people, Dana whispered. I can live with it, said Porthos. My friends, said Aramis, her joy filling the room. I'm so glad to see you're unharmed. 
Mostly, said Porthos. I took a wound or two, but it's all fixed up now. Dana's barely dented. How about you? Aramis pressed her hand to her chest and smiled. You'll tease me for giving God the credit and not the Medibay, but this time I do believe I was saved for something more, Paul. Something more than being a musketeer, Porthos repeated. Something more than Paris and friendship and serving the crown. I hope you don't mind the interruption, superiors, Aramis added to her new companions, who eyed Porthos and Dana as if they had rolled in drunk from the nearest tavern. I've not seen my friends in a long time. Porthos, D'Artagnan, perhaps you can bring your perspective to the debate. Porthos let out a short laugh, but pulled up a chair to the table. If it's about your thesis, darling, I doubt I can contribute much. Dana followed her lead, sitting beside Porthos. Unless your thesis is about swords or spaceships, she added, happy to play along. We're good at swords and spaceships. Aramis's eyes gleamed, and she continued with unironic enthusiasm for her topic. Ah, but you see, it's all about dogmatism versus idealism, and I'm sure you have an opinion as to which most accurately reflects the kind of priest I should become. Upon my ordination, Dana saw Porthos grip the chair arms, her knuckles standing out as white against the brown skin of her hands. You mean to go ahead with this? Porthos asked softly. It's the life I've always wanted, dear heart, Aramis replied, breaking off further discussion about dogmatic theory to smile at her friend. And it is the right time for me. Dana realised the exact moment that Porthos gave up. Her face pulled itself into an I am happy for you expression, instead of the more expected if you do this I will burn this abbey to the ground expression. I think perhaps, Dana broke in, before you make the final decision about this thesis of yours, Aramis, you should consider all the relevant source material. The priests blinked at her. Aramis had an odd smile on her face. It lacked the warmth she had turned upon her friends earlier. She was still so beautiful that it made Dana want to cry. Did you have something in mind, pup? Dana slid the letter from Captain Dubois out of the inner pocket in Athos's jacket. Like this, for instance. The paper crackled as she handed the envelope across, placing it into Aramis's outstretched hand. Aramis gripped the envelope firmly. It crumpled in her fingers with a sharp sound before she seized control of herself and flattened it out against the surface of the table. After contemplating the envelope for a few moments, she tore the letter open and read it silently to herself. Dana did not dare look at Porthos. She stared at Aramis and waited, well aware that everyone in the room was also staring at Aramis and waiting. No pressure or anything. Superiors, Dana said after a moment, you'll excuse me, please. I must commit myself to private contemplation for an hour or two. May we pick up this discussion after matin? She rose, ushering the priest to the door. Bazin, 
See, I'm not disturbed. And then she closed the door behind the representatives of the seminary. Porthos turned to look at Aramis. Hope alight in her eyes. Aramis pressed the letter to her chest and grinned the wickedest of grins. She loves me. Tracy Dubois loves me. Dana let out a long huff of air in relief. Well, of course she does, said Porthos, as if she hadn't doubted for a minute. How quickly can we get home to Paris? That depends, said Dana. Do you want to collect your ship before we go? Because we might not have enough credit to get the Morning Star out of Hock. Aramis laughed carelessly. We'll work something out. Porthos leapt to her feet and gave Aramis a rough hug. You scared me for a minute there, you rotten cow. Aramis kissed her hair. All for one and one for all, you silly bitch. She looked over Porthos's head to Dana. Where is he? Dana might not be smart enough to contemplate a pre-ordination thesis in theology, but she knew exactly who Aramis was talking about. Athos is on valour. We crashed the Paris Riposte more than a week ago, and I had to leave him and Grimaud to salvage the ship while I completed the mission. He's down on the planet, Porthos exclaimed. You never told me that. That's not good, Dana. We should have collected him first. Dana wanted to point out that they might have lost Aramis to the church forever if they hadn't picked her up today, but she knew better than to protest. Aramis paced back and forth in front of the door. This is bad. Athos and Valor do not cope well with each other. I'm aware, Dana said sharply. She wasn't an idiot. Either he's dead, or there's no wine left on that planet, announced Aramis. I know which option I'd bet my money on. She tucked the love letter from Tracy Dubois inside her flowing black robes. Let's find out where Bazin has hidden my flight suit and bring home our boy. Thanks for listening to Sheep Might Fly. You can sign up to my author newsletter for updates. Follow me on Twitter at TansyRR or at Sheep Might Fly. Find me on Facebook at TansyRR Books. And if you like this podcast, consider supporting me at Patreon, where you can receive all kinds of cool rewards, early ebooks, and exclusive stories for a small monthly pledge. I'll see you next week. Thank you.